Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine Podcast Radio. You're about to listen to an episode of Tech Done Different Podcast with Ted Harrington. Do you follow the pack or challenge the status quo? Join Ted as he explores how to succeed by going against conventional wisdom. You'll hear leaders in technology and security tell stories about how they achieve their success by doing things differently. Knowledge is power. Now, more than ever. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Tech Done Different. I am Ted Harrington, and I'm here with my co-host, Ben Schmerler. Ben, what's going on? Hey, Ted. How's it going? Good, man. And we have our special guest, Kathy Keating. Kathy is a CTO advisor, a coach, and just knows all things CTO. Kathy, thanks for joining. Uh, Happy to be here, Ted. I'm excited to talk about this problem that you and I were chatting about recently. This idea that early stage startups have a problem around filling the CTO role. Can you maybe enumerate what the problem is and we can dig into how we solve it? So one of the challenges that early stage startups run into is that they want a really um, strong, um, experienced CTO um, because they need to be able to move fast, be nimble, their code, um, uh, you know, th- they have dreams that their code is going to, um, their product is going to land well in the in the world and the world is going to adopt it and growth is going to be fast. So they realize that they need an experienced CTO for that, but their price, the ability for that they have to uh, pay is actually like maybe at a senior engineer level, right? Um, so most of them only have angel investing at that time. They may have, let's say, $100,000, $150,000, um, or even uh, a million or less in funding. And so all they really can afford is that senior engineer, maybe a staff level or a principal level engineer. Um, but their dreams are really big and their budget is really small. And so how do they resolve that issue? Um, a, lot of, a lot of early stage startups are not solving it well. Um, they're They're buying who they think is the best person that they can buy, which is, let's say, a senior engineer from a large fang company. Um, they're like, oh, they were able, you know, they were a senior engineer at Twitter or Facebook or or Amazon, and so they must be able to be a CTO for me, this tiny little company, right? But one of the challenges that um, they find when they get that person in the door is that person doesn't have the skills that a more experienced CTO might have had because they've never had those CTO level experiences. And so there's this wide gap between what they get and what they want and uh, therein lies the massive problem. That makes a lot of sense. You know, we uh, see a lot of with the startups we work with who we're doing security testing for that oftentimes these people are very, you know, as you pointed out, they're very ambitious. They have this great product. They have oftentimes a very novel technical idea that they're trying to implement. And then you say, well, now you have to do a bunch of business stuff and you have to be a leader and a manager and stuff. I mean, what do you try to do to get them to change that mindset? Um, I don't actually think that they can change. We can change that mindset. I mean, their budget oh. is their budget, right? Unless they can yeah. actually attract a Co- a technical co-founder who happens to be an experienced CTO, they're really stuck in that quandary. They hmm. they have to, you know, get the person that they actually can afford, right? Um, the question is, how do you build the support system around hmm. them so that they can grow quickly and effectively? So let me give you a really good example. So 
Um, I'm working with a company right now in the knowledge tech space, uh, and they've hired uh, someone who's like senior staff level engineer as their CTO, typical uh, scenario. Um, that person has never built an entire product from scratch. They've been part of a team that built a product, mm. but they've never been in charge of building a product from scratch. And so now that person, while they're a great programmer, um, gr great leader, uh, gr great um, engineer, and they can architect well, they've always architected in partnership with other people, but now they're architecting on their own. Mm. Uh, and so what can you do in that, in that case? It's like, what support system can you put around them? Well, what I like to say is like bring in um, an advisor or a coach, couple hours a month, few hours a month, um, and to really partner that person so that they have a sounding board for all those things that they've never done before, right? Every founder out there, first time founder out there, they're doing things every day that they've never done before, but the CTO is the one that never gets the support system, right? Hmm. Um, typically, you have boards and investors and mentors if you've gone through an accelerator program, you have tons of mentors around you, but almost all of that mentorship and advisory work is channeled directly to the CEOs, the CFOs, sales and marketing, but it's very rare that any of that uh, advisory uh, typically is channeled to the CTO. So the CTO at a startup is often left on their own, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, one thing a early stage startup can do is actually channel some of that advisory support system to that CTO. So that CTO, the startup CTO can really grow uh, and, and, and understand how to tackle all those challenges they've never tackled before. Ben and I have certainly run into that same challenge you described of uh, big dreams and small budgets. Yeah. That would be a really good book title, actually. Uh, big dreams and small budgets. So for clarity for people who are listening, who are maybe themselves not CTOs or not senior engineers or don't know the difference. What are the key differences between this type of person you're saying that early stage startups can afford and the skills that a CTO needs to have in order to be successful? Yeah, great question. So um, like I was mentioning before, the senior engineer has never really um, built something from scratch, right? Uh, they have often, and of course, some of this is stereotypes. So everyone will, there'll always be somebody who's outside of the boundaries. Um, but often they get their direction directly from their um, existing boss or product. And so they know exactly what they're going to build, right? They might have to architect it or whatever, but the feature definition is really well-defined, right? Um, for someone who's at, let's say, that startup, and even like tapping into that, that staff level, you're always getting work um, directed to you that, that other people have already strategized to determine the tactical direction. And now all of a sudden you're in this startup CTO role and you have none of that, right? Mm -hmm. um, so you have to really build that skill, which a CTO eventually builds is like big sky thinking, um, hearing something from the business, a problem that a customer needs to solve, and turning that into a technology solution is a real art that a CTO over time starts to craft. And you really don't start that crafting that strategic blue sky thinking as a engineer until you really get into like technical lead positions, uh, managers, directors, architect level roles. 
And, um, and it's not a skill that you can build overnight, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, these days I can hear, you know, 30 seconds of a business problem and I can craft a technical solution. Like that's a skill it took me years to build, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and so like CTOs, uh, experienced CTOs have really crafted that skill. Another skill that an experienced CTO has, um, really built over the years of experience is this ability to talk to the business in the way the business needs to hear mm. what they're saying, um, versus when they talk to their technical team, they're talking very technical when they're talking to the business team, they're talking strategy and business. Right. And that is a skill that I often don't see even start to be built into like principal or manager yeah. level, um, engineers. And so when we have expectations as founders that are the, our startup CTO that we hired is going to magically be able to talk to the business. It's just, it just doesn't work that way, right? That it's a skill that they need to build in the moment, and they're going to need to build it fast if they're going to take on a, a early stage startup uh, CTO role. That's really interesting. I uh, and it sounds like you're. I mean, you're going to come to people who were just given maybe a really nice role, leadership position, and you might be coming to them and saying, "Hey, you need to develop these skills, these other things." Do you find that most people are very open to that advice? Do there are people a little guarded about it? Do you have to to sort of make it easy for them to consume this stuff? I know I, I you know a lot of these people who are leaders maybe you know they you want to be careful about how you guide them along. Is is that ever an issue with personalities? Yeah, there's there's a lot of issues with personalities. Like, oh, I know what I know what I know how to be an engineer, right? Yeah. And and of course, I think there's this impression that when we're um, taking on an early stage startup CTO role is like, um, I know how to code, right? Early stage yeah. startups, it's all about code, but it's not all about code, right? And I think the thing we need to understand as engineers is that the role of the CTO as the company grows dramatically changes, right? Mm -hmm. So yes, if you're the first technical person at a company, you are the engineer whatever your title is, you're going to be coding, right? Mm -hmm. um, but you're also going to be partnering with business people who don't know how to tell you what they want, right? They have ideas and big dreams, but they don't know how to turn that into um, direction for you, right? So immediately out of the gate, even though you're the coder, you're really stretching your skill set to really uh, be, in a way, play the product role, right? Uh, where you can take the business's ideas and turn them into uh, tech plans, right? And so mm -hmm. the moment we walk into those early stage, you know, I'm the first coder situations, we are already stretching the boundaries of all of our experience. Um, and that's where I think it, it's it's really important to not say, oh, I know what to do um, to have that ego, but actually say, I'm a sponge, I need to learn, I need to grow. And I recognize my job is that I need to be a catalyst within the organization yeah. to proactively, um, you know, work with my partners to be able to determine what it is we want to create, right? And so the more proactive, um, continuous learning approach that we take to these roles, um, the more effective you'll be in that job. Hmm. Well, Ben and I are certainly proponents of the idea of engaging outside experts to help you with niche <laughs> specialty needs you yeah. have, a shameless plug for ethical hacking. Um, 
but not to divert. So as we think about this type of person who is joining an organization and maybe they haven't yet done the CTO type role, but they're certainly capable of developing into that. How do we measure whether or not they have achieved it? How do we know, how can we say uh, that they have truly risen into this CTO capability and how long does that take? Oh boy. That's a really, uh, that's a really hard question to answer. Do you give them a, a certificate that says honorary CTO, <laughs> a little trophy, a crown on their head. Yeah. <laughs> you have passed, you have graduated. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's important to understand how do you master what my business needs at this level of business, right? So mm. like I was mentioning, you're an early stage startup, you have one, two, three people on your team. You know, at that point, you're needing to master, you know, I have great code base, I'm doing trunk based development, I've got feature flags, I'm building fast, I'm running lean, I know what a proof of concept is, like, these are the fundamentals, um, you know, CICD, you know, all, all those things that are fundamentals around driving a good organization from uh, what I call the, the four key tenants of the CTO role, which is um, sp speed. How, how fast can we move? Um, uh, shield, how, how much are we protecting our business, right? So really ensuring not just from a cybersecurity perspective, but also from future-proofing our company, right? The right. tech that mm -hmm. we're building. Um, sales, um, are we doing proof of concepts? Do we understand MVPs? How are we handling product? Um, you know, so I said speed, shield, and sales. And then the fourth is stretch. How are we stretching ourselves? How are we continuously growing, right? And so that's how I actually measure, um, that's how I actually assess CTOs when I come in and in their organization to understand where they are. So like, do they have those fundamentals in place? Are they proactively thinking about speeds, um, sales, uh, shielding the company and stretching themselves, right? Mm -hmm. And every CTO has a gap in one of those, right? There's an area of our business where things are not going well. They seem hard. We feel burnt out. Uh, we don't know how to fix them, right? And that's where those advisors can really come in and help them. Um, and so I think, you know, once you have those fundamentals, your business can actually move faster. And that's where you move into like, now I have 10 people or 20 people. We have entirely different challenges at that yeah. place. Like you're actually probably no longer coding when you hit about 10 to 15 people. You're actually moving into more strategy and leadership. You're partnering stronger with the business. You're talking to customers. Um, but what's also important at that phase is you're actually moving from one team to two, right? And then on mm -hmm. to three, which is probably one of the hardest challenges um, an early stage company has when they hit those what I call inflection points. And so moving from one team to two, moving from five to 10, um, there's these key inflection points where just the job gets much harder again, because we have to learn entirely new things that we didn't even know were part of the CTO job. That's uh, really interesting to me. You said something like talk, uh, talking about talking to the business, you know, getting these people who are highly technical to be able to interact with other business units, et cetera, and make sure that they're engaging. Part of that, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, is also advocating for your team, right? So the business guy comes to you, the sales guy comes to you and says, oh, we really want this. I heard from this client. We really want this feature set. It's going to be amazing. We're going to do all this stuff. And then the CTO or, or whatever their role is at the time takes it and they 
they put their head in there. I don't know how I'm going to do this, or I don't know how we're going to get this done in time. Is part of that like trying to get people to explain to maybe the business people, hey, you know, you're making a big ask. Here are the challenges with that ask to your business plan. Yeah, I think um, this is where building good um, foundations is incredibly important, right? And mm -hmm. so way back when you were like one or two people at the company, you should be thinking about how do we prioritize our work, right? Mm -hmm. Because when you get to like 10, 15, 20 people, um, you know, I've seen companies at 60 who are like prioritizing work based on who yells the loudest, right? Mm -hmm. And and of course, it's often sales. Sorry, salespeople. Um, and, uh, and, and that's just not effective, right? And so how can you advocate for your business when the business condones lack of, like, like lack, lack of rigor about how you prioritize, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, if you've built strong process for uh, lean, strong lean process um, for how you prioritize work, those conversations become much easier because a salesperson comes to you and says, my customer wants X. And so we actually vet it through the machine of the prioritization process. And we determine that only one customer wants it and they're not going to buy it. Right. Mm -hmm. Or we find out, oh, there's like $4 million a year revenue potential here. Right. And so the structure of good operational process around how we prioritize um, ends up being the setting for like how we can collaborate effectively with um, those other teams, right? Mm -hmm. And now we can come proactively and we can say, oh, okay, so now we know that this thing, we, we, ha we have a hypothesis that this will get us a lot of revenue growth, which is great. Let's do a proof of concept, right? So that I can understand what it's going to take to build it, right? Proof of concepts are great. Um, a lot of businesses don't like it because they want all engineers to just be doing feature work all the time. Yeah. But wouldn't you as a business leader want to spend $5,000 to determine how long it's going to take to do something? Or would you rather just throw your people blindly at something and find out it took four times longer than you thought to build it and you missed your opportunity, right? So proof of concept lets us spend a little bit of time and energy to find out, hey, Okay, we know now we know exactly how to do this and we have a really clear understanding of what it's going to take, right? And then you go off and build the, the whole product in a much more productive way, right? But like mm -hmm. I can advocate for that when I have um, healthy, transparent trust across all those other parts of the organization. Mm -hmm. That's pretty fascinating, the idea of healthy and transparent trust. And, and you brought up this scenario of like who barks the loudest gets the development need that they want and so if we think about this early stage startup they're uh they're resource constrained financially and person power wise they've got this senior engineer maybe they're working with an outside uh coach such as yourself to help advise this person on how to level up their skills and they're in that situation and sales is saying we need this and this senior engineer is like, I, how do I do this? How should a, how does a company navigate those trade-offs between what customers are demanding or prospective customers are demanding and the roadmap that's already been laid out by the team? Yeah, I think, um, I think if we're, if we're really operating as a lean business, like lean agile, not doing agile, but being agile, um, business, uh, we should be uh, willing to shift our roadmap if um, our 
analysis of the new situation um, leads us to believe that we should, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I like, I'm a big fan of like what are called now, next, later roadmaps, right? So now is the thing we've already committed to, right? So yes, those things are immutable, right? We've already made commitments to these things. These are the things we're building now. But what's next is actually open for interpretation. Yes, your roadmap actually says, these are the things we know today that are next. Um, but those should be able to shift around and be flexible and, and, and moving if we've done the analysis and determined something is going to serve our customers better, right? Mm -hmm. And so on that uh that next column of your roadmap, you might find that you insert something over another. And, and obviously you're not making commitments into that next. You're really just saying, this is directionally where we're going. And then of course, on the now, next, later, the later is really like, this is just like dreams, right? On your roadmap. And those are really going to move a, a lot, right? Based on what you learned today might change what you thought you knew yesterday. Um, and I think that mentality um, is, is really important for a, an early or a mid-stage startup to be able to be willing to flex and extend and, and change our minds because that's how, that's how a company succeeds, right? Um, is through those minor pivots and shifts that help us follow where our customers are directing us to go. Um, and, um, but it really requires that mind shift for all of the leaders in the organization to, uh, be willing to, um, you know, have that trust and, um, those transparent conversations that really allow us to say, um, I, I should be able to challenge you and say, Hey, I, I don't believe that's X is as important as Y. Mm -hmm. Right. And here's why. Um, and, and really bringing data to the equation to be able to say, okay, the data doesn't support your argument let you know let's go find data that does or maybe that becomes a lower priority that's really cool do you uh i'm just kind of curious so like i was looking at your linkedin your website and such and you have so much experience all these endorsements from people doing all this stuff mm -hmm. not just in consulting but like in your past life when you're actually doing these things within companies so like i'm just kind of curious like what got you into sort of making the shift and saying you know now i want to bring up others you know i want to you know, bring the skills that I have as a leader, as a CTO to people who could need it? Like, was there like a, a some sort of trigger point that got you into that? Well, um, I've always been someone who really wanted to tackle the hard things. Mm -hmm. Like uh, mm -hmm. the early half of my career was like doing first, building first, um, that were, that really took the market in their space. And so uh, I just feel like not a lot of technologists have it, those kinds mm -hmm. of experiences where they can actually go into, um, you know, industries or or problem areas that they that have never been solved before. Right? We're seeing it a little right now with generative AI, but um, and I just feel like I had so much of those great experiences early in my career. About mid career, when I started to become a leader. I realized it was really important to inspire those that worked for me because if I inspired them, um, gave them opportunities, they did incredible mm. work, right? Um, so the second half of my career, I actually have founded, I'm on my fourth company. Um, you know, I've, I've done consulting, I've built product. Um, and uh, throughout all of those, I really appreciated all the people who really advised and, and supported me 
Uh, and, and so as I was getting that advice and support, I really shifted to giving that to everyone around me as well. And so I've been a, a mentor and a coach for many people for about eight or nine years. Um, and as I, uh, my, my second company was acquired in 2021. And that really started to shift my mindset to say, um, it's an opportunity for me to, let's say, not do the work as much as uh, teach the work, right? So over the last um, probably six, eight months, I've started to shift into running my own business. I actually have two businesses right now. One is my, you know, consulting advisory and coaching. And then I um, also am building a uh, really structured framework to how to teach CTOs to grow. Um, and I, I partnered with somebody to do that. It's called CTO Levels. And, um, and you know, just really focusing my time now on giving back. Like I've always been someone who gets filled up by giving back. Um, that give first mentality. It's probably because I got it from Techstars. That's huh. one of their... Um, uh, mantras. And when my second company went through Techstars, you know, I really like embraced that idea of giving back and, and um, it fills me up. And, you know, if I can spend all my time supporting other people to be successful, I've had a lot of success in my life. Um, I'd like to give some of that back. So. Awesome. I love that. What a, what a good note to end on. You certainly have been giving so much of your time and wisdom here today. So we're, we're really grateful to have had you on the show. Um, is there anything you want to leave our audience with as we wrap up? Uh, no, I'm uh, just, uh, I think the biggest thing is like always be learning. That's um, mm -hmm. been my mantra forever is to always be open, always be uh, desiring to learn and grow. And, and when you're open to that, um, the possibilities present themselves. Love it. Kathy Keating, the CTO whisperer. We appreciate your time. <laughs> you can put it on your business card. Yeah. So Ben, the first question I wanted to ask you about was what Kathy said, this idea of big dreams and small budgets. Uh, <laughs> that definitely resonated. Uh, you, you run into that all the time, right? You're core focus is to work with our customers and to scope out the project like what is it that they need so that it can yeah. achieve their goals and all that good stuff and it happens to you a lot right where they're like oh we need everything and then you're like mm, but i don't know if you're gonna be able to pay for everything so yeah uh how what was your reaction to her saying that and what can we learn and apply from it it's you know what what you know it's sort of a chuckle because when somebody says something you that resonates with you and kathy said many things that did you sort of go yep that's that's what it's yeah. like. Um, yeah. You know, the truth is when I'm talking to somebody and they have these big ideas and, and such, and I sort of get a sense pretty quickly that the budget isn't going to support it. You have to get to the concepts of choice and value and what what actually matters. You know, what is what is the goal that we're really trying to achieve? Forget about this huge list, laundry list of things. Ultimately, there's a goal that we're trying to achieve. And for mm -hmm. us, it's you know, making a product more secure or helping identify vulnerabilities or whatever. And what I'll try and do is say, well, let's get to that. You know, the, you're, you know, you listed out these 10 things, but really what you care about is, is, you know, identifying the critical vulnerabilities in your product, for, for example, maybe that's what they're looking for. And what can we do with the resources available to achieve that? And by the way, sometimes we have to be blunt and say, you know, 
you're asking for something on a budget that maybe is not going to work and maybe we need to readjust our plans accordingly. The worst thing you can do, particularly in a security capacity, is just saying, yeah, it's good. No problem. Yeah, it's great. Whatever you do, you know, you don't want to be a yes person and just mm -hmm. go along with something that somebody says. Uh, you have to focus on the goal first and then work your way from there. Uh, and yeah, sometimes you have to have a tough conversation. And uh, But usually when things are close enough, uh, you, you can find ways to make a compromise and get the goal across, or at least come up with a roadmap so that when the budget comes, you can achieve some of these other things. Mm -hmm. You're talking a bit about, and so did Kathy, this idea of priorities. And yeah. I think there's an, inher an inherent flaw with that word, which is that by definition, priority is singular, but we use it in plural. So when someone sits down and says, all right, these are my priorities, and they list like five things or three things or even anything, anything is more than number one. Yeah. How do we parse out what really is the number one thing and how critical is numbers two and three? I mean, you're really good at that. How do you sort that out for people? I, I think what you have to try and do is outline what their priorities really mean. You know, mm -hmm. by you listing these like 10 things out, do you really understand what you're asking for? Um, you know, Kathy talked about make, you know, I talk to the business was what she said. I wrote it down, talk mm. to the business. And so if someone gives you these 10 ideas about all these things they can do, and you sort of know that it's going to be a big problem, you sort of have to outline it and make it clear why and make it clear that it's not some bias or that you don't want to do it or that it's not good for business or something or for my business. It's more about like saying, okay, here are the reasons why this is a challenge. And now we have to make choices together. And I've made my case for you. I put all the facts out there for you. And I'm I'm your ally here. I'm trying to help you. Um, it's it's not that I want to say no. It's that I want you to understand what you're asking for. Um, the thing I go back to that sort of taught me about how to do it was I was reading. This was years ago. I was reading like the Steve Jobs biography, and like he would talk about these retreats he would do. And he would ask everybody for like, tell me all your ideas. And he'd write down a million ideas that everyone had on like some whiteboard. And then he would say, okay, we could do three of these things. Like he would just say like, this is what we can do. And, but we're going to do those three things really amazing. And if it worked for like Apple, it could work hmm. for a lot of organizations. If you, yeah. if you took any organization and said, we have three initiatives we want to do this year. And these are big picture initiatives and we can manage them. You can't imagine how much success that will lead to. Uh, mm -hmm. But if you're too distant and you're too spread out and you're, you're too, everything is a priority, everything's important, you're really not going to achieve anything the way you really expect. So it, it, you have to make some tough choices. You have to be willing to say, these are the things that are important. Uh, but it's up to us as advisors to help lay out what that means. Hmm. She described this idea that early stage startups have this quandary, right? Which is they have to... Uh, they want a CTO, but they can only afford to hire a senior engineer. And so they're getting someone not yet qualified to do the job and then hoping they can figure it out. And that is in fact a problem, but I also found myself really intrigued by that because I mean, that's in a way, that's kind of how we hire people, right? We want to hire people who have aptitude and say, let's just grow you in, into your role. Now, obviously yeah. there's some roles that you hire them at the level of experience you already need, but then there's a lot where we like grow them. Yeah. What was your reaction to that idea? Well, first of all, it resonated with me a lot because we've talked to guests on this show who have been thrown into that position. Mm -hmm. I was doing this thing and I was encoding and all of a sudden I became a CTO and like I had to wing it. I had to figure it out. 
Uh, so uh, that was absolutely true. But as far as, uh, you know, finding, figuring out how to deal with, you know, maybe you can't get everything you want out of a candidate. Um, what I would say is you sort of, I, I guess I would call it like looking at the DNA of a person, like what kind of person are we dealing with? You know, let's say you're, you, you know, you're finding that, you know, see that senior engineer or whatever, and you want to upgrade them to a CTO over time. I think what you really have to ask is who is the person I'm hiring? Do they understand big picture, what the role is going to be? We have to accept them for what they are now and understand their skills, but also recognize where their talent may be. You know, what is, what could be unleashed? What could they do? And also, I mean, maybe some sobering questions, like maybe somebody's really great at being an engineer, but they're not fit for that management or leadership role. Maybe they aren't a communicator. Maybe they just, maybe they just can't achieve that. Well, that's fine too. It doesn't mean that they're not valuable to the organization. It's just that we have to understand who we're dealing with, what, what they can do, and then figure out what latent talents we can build out of them, challenge them to develop themselves. And are they the right people to take that challenge mm. and be willing to develop themselves? Ben, I just want to interview you all day. Um, okay. Can, can you just tell sure. me everything about everything? Yeah. All right, sure, why not? <laughs> well, this is a cool episode. Uh, those are some cool insights that you add to that. So uh, what should we leave everyone with? Uh, I like the learn and grow thing. You know, uh, yeah. it, it, it could apply it to anything. We're talking about CTOs and things like that. But like when, when I came on board, one of the things I sort of had to challenge myself on, I was actually talking to somebody about this the other day is like, I was writing a lot of content and doing things and they were very like technical and they were mm -hmm. correct. Like they were, they, the content was good. But like one of the things I challenged myself when I came here was like, how can I do it different and better? How can I put more of my personality into it? How can I get more attention? How can I be more provocative and things like that? And that was a challenge I had to make for myself, but I had to learn how to do that. Mm -hmm. I had to I had to challenge the expectation that what I was doing when I was at the old place, which was great, I was doing a good job. I just wanted to do it better. I could do it in a different way. And um, it doesn't mean you do it right all the time, but it means you go out there and accept the idea that you're not perfect and that things need to grow and change for you to keep moving up hmm. love it well everyone listening if you want to learn more about our guest or request to appear on the show just go to tedharrington.com backslash podcast and we'll catch you next time we hope you enjoyed this episode of tech done different podcast with ted harrington if you learned something new and this conversation made you think then share itspmagazine.com with your friends family and colleagues if you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.